Hello and welcome to the Wellness Trinity Podcast, where we interview top holistic experts and bring you natural solutions for modern day wellness. Let's get started with your host, Dr. Jacqueline. Welcome. Thank you for joining the Wellness Trinity Podcast. I am Dr. Jacqueline, naturopathic doctor and owner of the Wellness Trinity, where we provide natural solutions for modern day wellness. Just a little disclaimer before we get started, what we discuss in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. What you do with the information is to be used at your discretion as the recommendations are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases. So today I have a special guest on the show. His name is Dr. Javen Moore. He's a chiropractor and we'll get into his bio in a little bit, but I met him a few months ago at um, a seminar that we were attending to learn more about how to do these um, really wonderful tests at the Great Plains Laboratory. To get started, he is a national board certified chiropractic physician. He practices functional medicine, looking at the root cause of illness and treating through natural protocols. Dr. Jabin's passion for restoring health through a multi-therapeutic approach came from a a young age when his mother was diagnosed with diabetes after a three-year struggle trying to figure out what was causing her health to decline. She was diagnosed only because she was in a a car accident and in the ER, she was told that she was diabetic. By this point, she had gained 100 pounds, her cholesterol was out of control, and her ulcers in her stomach, depression, high blood pressure, and chronic fatigue. Growing up, Dr. Javen washed his mother's condition um, progressed, adding new medications and symptoms by the year, never curing or making her feel better or for long, just stabilizing one symptom until the next started. This eventually led to thyroid cancer and two surgeries to remove the cancer. Through this experience, Dr. Javen found his mission to discover the root of a condition so that progression can be stopped so the next person doesn't have to go through a story like hers. His mission progressed even further when during chiropractic school, his own journey, health journey, began. He started to decline physically rapidly and with no known cause at the age of 25. Over the next year, he searched for answers with many different doctors. He was experiencing fatigue, joint pain, and low testosterone. After not finding answers from several doctors, he went to a conference of functional medicine doctors. It was there he met one who suggested the possibility of Lyme disease. After some testing and further investigation, Dr. Javen was found to be positive for Lyme. This began his journey of learning how to treat it. After consulting several doctors and trying many treatments, Dr. Javen found relief and has been symptom-free for over five years now. Welcome to the show, Dr. Javen. Well, thank you for having me on here. I'm excited to talk to you. We are going to talk today about the thyroid, and Dr. Javen is an expert at the thyroid. So why don't we first start with what are some symptoms of an underactive thyroid? So underactive or hypothyroid can lead to a multitude of symptoms, but the main ones patients experience are going to be fatigue or low energy. They're going to have constipation, so slow bowels. A lot of weight gain is usually experienced, hair loss, dry skin, brittle nails, but it can even lead to a lot of psychological things such as depression, anxiety. So patients will have no motivation to do anything. And those are just the tip of the iceberg for hypothyroid. Okay. So you had mentioned that there's three main causes of any type of dysfunction. Do you want to go into that? Yeah, so in my practice, I've been working for about six years with very chronic patients, whether it's patients that have Lyme disease or parasitic infections, autoimmune diseases. And for me, what I've found is there's three basic things that you can get all the way down to that are typically the root of almost any dysfunction in the body disease process, which those three things are infections, which can be things like Lyme disease like I had, parasites, Epstein-Barr, and many, many other different infections. Toxicities such as heavy metals or chemicals that are in the environment, plastics, different other pesticides, and lastly, trauma. So trauma can cause a lot of dysfunction. That can be physical trauma such as an auto accident or emotional trauma such as losing somebody that you cared about deeply. So yeah, you know, I find that a lot of people with trauma as well too. 
And um, I, I do live blood analysis in my practice and dry blood analysis. Are you familiar with those? Yeah, we do live blood analysis here. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, good to know. Yeah, so do you, uh, do you ever do the dry? I haven't done dry yet. I'm actually uh, going to a training on it here shortly. Oh, nice. Yeah, so in the dry blood, that's where I'll find um, at different periods of people's life, there, there will be different types of trauma or, or actually I find heart stress. A lot of heart stress will pop up at certain times of life. And I can't tell you how many times I'll ask what happened in their life during that time. And it's some type of trauma, a divorce, someone left them, um, a death in the family or some crazy events in their life. And the, and the worse it seems to be, the worse the heart stress is during that time. Yeah. So I totally believe too that different traumas can just tip people off the edge. And we're already living in, in this toxic world you mentioned infections and toxins, and um, it's just crazy that we're we're already having these problems, and then we have a trauma, and we might have already had these problems, and now it just tips people over the edge, and now it's it's an even bigger problem. Yeah, I I describe to a lot of my patients uh, their body as a bucket, so I say as you start filling that bucket up, when you overflow the top, that's when your body creates those dysfunctions. So. Mm-hmm. As our life goes and we pick up things like chicken pox or mono, they're viruses that we deal with throughout life, or we pick up toxicity from the food we're eating or the air we're breathing. And then that bucket keeps filling. And then finally you have that last stressor that, as they say, the straw that breaks the camel's back, it starts to overflow. And now you have a thyroid disorder or you have Hashimoto's thyroid, which is autoimmune thyroid, or who knows what symptom you develop, but it's that last thing that tipped you over the edge. And then you have to go find someone like myself or yourself where they, we specialize in emptying that bucket. On the note of emotions, how do you find um, emotions like, um, so the thyroid holds communication. How do you find that related to the challenges you see people with their thyroid underactive? Well, there's a lot of different techniques that people use for working with emotion. Um, I like the technique, neuroemotional technique. It's a technique of muscle testing, kinesiology. But I see people coming in with all kinds of different types of difficulties that lay stress into their body. And as that stress weighs in on them, as it weighs them down, as the depression grows and the anxiety grows, those things can weigh down on the adrenals. The adrenals are your your fight or flight mechanism organs, and it's going to release cortisol whenever you're stressed. And that cortisol goes out in the body and that starts to basically overwhelm the body being in a fight or flight stage. And then your thyroid and the thyroid hormones aren't as effective in your body at that point. Mm. So you're overwhelming your body with fight or flight hormones. Your basic other hormones aren't going to be doing the job as well as they need to be. Mm-hmm. So it's just an order of operations. It seems like adrenal hormones are going to be at the top. So when you're stressed out, when you're, when you're unable to do things the way you need to, that's one way. And the other way is your, your thyroid communicates to every single part of your body because thyroid hormone goes to every, every single cell. It's what regulates your metabolism. And your metabolism allows for immune function, liver function, so that you can detoxify your body from the toxins in your environment. It helps with energy production and any and every other process. So if your thyroid is dysfunctioning or not able to get the communication to the rest of your body, you're not going to have normal function and anything going on in you. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. So what about if a thyroid is overactive? What are some symptoms that people tend to have? So overactive thyroid is just going to be flipped from the underactive. So you're going to be sweaty, oily. You're going to be more irritable or short-tempered with people. You can have muscle wasting, so you actually lose muscle mass. You know, it doesn't necessarily affect hair much differently than underactive, you can still lose hair. But with hypothyroid or underactive, you're gonna lose the outer third of your eyebrow, whereas with hyper, you don't see that. Mm. But hyper actually can cause your eyes to kind of bulge out just a little bit. Mm. So that's one of those symptoms where you see bulging eyes, you're like, okay, we gotta test your thyroid right now. Mm. Okay. Hyperthyroid or Graves, which is autoimmune hyperthyroid, can actually be very dangerous. It can cause things called thyroid storms that can be an emergency situation that needs to be dealt with even in even in the ER or the hospital. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. So as a chiropractor, I'm sure you probably know which um, parts of the spine are related to the thyroid as well too, right? 
So yeah, there's definitely different levels of the, the spine that are going to be related to the thyroid. And it just depends a little bit on honestly what chart you're looking at. I've actually got one sitting right in front of me. Interestingly enough, we got some right here. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. I was just looking at the desk. So C7 is going to be your thyroid gland. Hmm. And that's, uh, I'm not the most familiar with it. So we're, is that higher up or is that? That would be right at the, the base of the neck, that, that protrusion okay. on the back of your neck, that prominence, the vertebrae, you can see the best. That would be about C7. Hmm. Okay. So uh, do you usually see that connection when you're adjusting people that their C7 is off and their thyroid is off at the same time? You know, honestly, I don't do much adjusting anymore. Uh, oh, that's right. I've got a weightless, weightless practice these days for yeah. more of the functional medicine. So yeah. uh, that correlation for me is not as easy. I actually have chiropractors here that, that adjust for me. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So on that note, what, um, why did you end up going that direction of focusing more on the functional medicine versus adjusting people? Well, there, there's two pieces of that puzzle because the adjustments are super effective and I, I have seen adjustments actually help organ function get better. I've even adjusted someone and they lost weight before because wow. there are some parts of the spine that were affecting their metabolism, such as C7. But for me, the, the two things that have led there is one, when I got Lyme disease, it just kind of led me in a different direction. Mm. I originally got a master's, uh, I was doing a bunch of master's work and I was, it was in kinesiology and biomechanics. So I was ready to go do sports medicine because I was an athlete in college. And then when I got Lyme, it drove me into the functional medicine side because I realized that if the body can't even heal or function or absorb nutrients, how can I get the person to heal athletically? Mm -hmm. My passion also changed there. But secondly, as a, as a chiropractor, if somebody has back pain or knee pain as an athlete that wants to get back on the field in the week, but they've got a month before they can get in to see me, it kind of changed the face of my practice just due to the wait list. Mm. Patients with thyroid situations or patients with fatigue that have been dealing for 20 years and haven't found a doctor that they resonate with or willing to wait that month. Whereas, you know, you got a tweaked ankle and you got to run next week. It's harder yeah. to wait that time. Isn't it true though, too, that if we fix some of the chemical imbalances that our spine can actually adjust itself in a way too? Our, our structure. Yeah, so, the, the technique I originally learned was called CPK, which is chiropractic plus kinesiology. And what the doctor that developed that would say is anything can treat anything, but there are things that can treat things better. So for instance, if you get rid of all the chemical imbalances in the body, the body and, the, and then the body's able to heal past those difficulties. So Lyme disease or otherwise, it will start healing all of the other parts of the body on its own. Mm-hmm. So just remove interference from the system and it starts to heal itself. So whatever the greatest interference is, remove it, and allow it to heal, whether that's a, a bone out of place in the neck or heavy metals that are affecting the receptors on the thyroid, creating Hashimoto's. Um, back to the thyroid. Why are there so many people with thyroid challenges? Thyroid is so complicated because, well, first of all, why do people always think that they have thyroid problems? One, I'm getting old. No, it's not because you're getting old. I got 90-year-olds that have thyroid function still. It's genetic. No, there's over 27 million Americans diagnosed with thyroid disease. And when you run studies, more than half the people that have thyroid disorder haven't been diagnosed yet. So there's probably 50 million out there if you actually tested everybody in the United States. Um, It's a lack of hormone. No, because when you do studies on people that are out there, 24 patterns are known in the thyroid. 22 of them don't require medication. So a lot of it is inflammation can cause a hormone resistance in the body no different than diabetes it can be same thing for thyroid so is there something wrong with the receptors or with inflammation in the body blocking it mm-hmm. another part is nutritional deficiencies so if you don't have the nutrients in your body required to make thyroid hormones work then you're not going to be able to make thyroid hormones and then use them another piece of that puzzle is out of the top 50 most used medications, 30 of them decrease functions in the body that relate to thyroid. Mm. So if you're taking medications that affect digestive tract, it's going to affect how well your thyroid hormones work because thyroid hormones depend upon the digestive tract and the liver to actually be made into an active hormone or, or made to work in the body. So okay. there's so many reasons going on. You know, this is what I've come to learn, too, is a lot of medical doctors are not testing all the different hormones, too. Have you found that? Absolutely. So when you look at thyroid, the most common test ran is TSH. 
TSH is the gold standard of medicine, but it's actually a hormone coming from the pituitary gland, not even coming from the thyroid. Mm -hmm. It is telling the thyroid to stimulate more hormone production, but it's not telling you how much hormone production is actually being done. So you still need to run T4 and T3, both bound and unbound, so free in totals. You need to see how much is being uptaken. You need to test reverse T3, which is a hormone that the thyroid produces that is produced when your body wants to slow itself down. So it's the absolute opposite of an active thyroid hormone, and it can block up receptors, slowing your body down. So there are at least nine to 10 tests that I run on every single thyroid patient that walks in my clinic, and the 99% of them have only ever had TSH and maybe T4, which is just near, not, not enough information, not even close, if you want to actually understand how your thyroid is working. Do you want to explain why people are not getting all the nutrients that they need for the thyroid? Well, uh, a fun question I like to ask is when a woman comes into my clinic, because men, we just don't talk about these things. I say, out of 10 of your friends, how many don't have any kind of digestive tract issue whatsoever? So that means no bloating, no cramping, no diarrhea, no constipation. And 10 out of 10 women will tell me at least 9 out of 10 of their friends have some sort of digestive tract issue. So if your digestive processes aren't working, well, how are you going to absorb the nutrients even if you're getting them all in? Yeah. So that's a piece. I mean, for yourself and your friends, how many of them have some sort of digestive tract issue or have had it before you fixed it? Right. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, I, I think. You know, after doing this work, you just assume everybody has digestive challenges. Exactly. So even eating the perfect diet, you may not get the nutrients because you can't absorb them. Well, beyond that, our food anymore, when you're eating processed food all the time, you're not getting the nutrients because mm -hmm. it's processed out. And even if they add it back in artificially, those nutrients they're adding back in are not the same. They don't work very well. Mm -hmm. And our fields that are out there that you're growing food and I live here in the Midwest are not being replenished in nutrients. So even the food we eat doesn't have all the nutrients that we use that we still need, but used to be there in that, in that food. So our food supply is just not as good anymore either. Mm -hmm. So what nutrients in particular does the thyroid need? So a few would be selenium, iodine, tyrosine, copper, iron, that's just a few. We also need to make sure that we're using the proper proteins in the body to transport those different hormones across and through the body. So you've got to have enough protein in your body. If you're not eating protein or if your body's breaking down and you're not letting that protein where it go where it needs to go, you're going to absolutely have an issue there too. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what do you think about all the um, vegetarians? and vegans that whole movement you know i think there's a time and a place for every diet mm -hmm. um i'm gonna call veganism more of, a, of a, a diet that we need diet variation through i think be necessary for a lot of people I, I think you can do without meat but it's not my favorite thing to see done mm -hmm. I think veganism if you have cancer or autoimmune diets or incredible inflammation levels absolutely can be vital to your healing process but once you get past that, sometimes you need that meat. Sometimes it's hard to get enough B12 and B6 and different other proteins without eating meat. So I'm a big fan of diet variation for all reasons, not just vegan, but for even fasting or keto or, or all these other diets. It's, it's don't stick to one forever, rotate. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's kind of the conclusion I'm starting to get after studying all these different diets too is that um, – there is there could be a time and a place for doing something like a raw vegan diet if you have something like cancer um but if it's if in the long run though like i i personally did the vegan thing for a few years and i wasn't feeling good after a while at first you feel amazing because you're you're starting to deal with certain challenges but after a while i started feeling depleted and i was taking my supplements and, and doing you know the good things i should be doing too so yeah and then the other thing is like i do hair mineral analysis here too and depending on people's ratios with their minerals they and and if they're a fast or slow oxidizer they they will explain that you should have more or less protein fats or carbs depending on you know where your metabolism is at so um, things like a keto diet is not actually for most people according to at least according to the hair mineral analysis um, research so if someone's a fast oxidizer 
then they don't need as much fat as, as a slow and, and most people are slow oxidizers. So um, anyway, I tend to lean a little bit more toward that when I'm thinking about how to break up their macronutrients as well. Yeah, you know, the more information we can give somebody, the, the better. And the keto diet for me is, is useful when somebody's full of fungus or yeast or, um, you know, they're diabetic. But mm -hmm. again, once you transition them through that challenge, then we don't need to be keto. Mm -hmm. Capable yeah. of going into ketosis, but it doesn't mean that you need to be keto all the time. Yeah. So with your practice, how um, long do you find that it usually takes if someone is, you know, fungus yeast, diabetic, or has those situations? Um, if they're doing a keto, if you recommend a keto diet, how long do you think it's is a recommendation for that? Oh man, that's a complicated answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I treat very chronic illness, so it's a slow process for a lot of people. If you're fairly healthy, just being able to get into ketosis consistently can take two or three weeks. But if you take somebody who has a inflammatory panel like C-reactive protein of 26, like I saw yesterday, they're going to take months to get their body stabilized to where they can actually, one, do an intermittent fast or two, even get themselves into ketosis without feeling like crap. Because mm -hmm. when you get into ketosis, a lot of times it helps your body to detoxify a little bit better because you're not getting all the sugar in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're not getting the carbs in that created the inflammation. So with those people, I don't even start them in a ketosis ever diet. Mm. Um, usually it's just more of a, of a whole foods or an AIP autoimmune protocol kind of diet, because I'm just like, I want you to eat more of a 30, 30, 30 on macros, you know, mm. like break it up evenly into three, three different parts and just eat healthy and eat anti-inflammatorily mm. because we got a long road ahead of, of detoxing before we get there. So I know I didn't directly answer the question, but it's, it's because I never start really sick people with keto. Mm -hmm. And my whole thing is, can somebody even get into ketosis? And once they can, then I'm not even a huge use keto all the time person. Mm -hmm. their okay. gut is just so messed up. And when I look at their blood analysis, there's just fungus everywhere. Right. I so, see the well, same. Now we got to stay away from sugar. We got to stay right. away from herbs. Yeah. Yeah, the fungus is incredible. I mean, the, the yeast is up there too, but I almost want to say the fungus is, might be worse than the yeast. Yeah, and if I see a ton of that, then I'm going, okay, now I can see keto being functional until we get that under control. Because mm -hmm. okay. it gives somebody a lot of symptom relief initially. Uh, you know, like you said about vegan, you can get a lot of symptom relief initially, right. but then you've got to heal the problem, not just say, okay, symptoms are gone, we're good. Yeah, yeah. So you had mentioned that the thyroid needs iron. Do you find that people with thyroid challenges tend to have um, target cells in a live blood cell analysis? Um, you know, not really specifically because a lot of people that are aware of thyroid challenges take a lot of supplements. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe in a clear, I've never done anything for myself situation, but I'll give thyroid presentations and the patients that come in for thyroid are usually fairly educated. Usually they're, they're on all the, the Facebook blogs and they're trying to do all the things right. And they've had their blood ran for iron because your medical doctor, your general practitioner will see a, a blood issue with iron pretty easily by looking at hemoglobin and different other tests. So they're usually already working on that. Anemia is such a, a normal, popular thing to treat that, I don't typically see a ton of target cells mm -hmm. that are coming in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to see a correlation with the target cells and the, the infections as well too, like the parasites mm -hmm. um, and also uh, maybe even a copper imbalance too when I do the hair test. Mm -hmm. So do you do hair analysis by any chance? A little bit. I'm getting more into it. I've been more with the, the live blood, the blood work, doing mm -hmm. a lot of assessments and then doing a little bit of Eastern medicine testing. I'm adding in all the GLP testing, the hair analysis, and, and then soon to be the uh, dry blood. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I know once you start doing this, then it's just like you open one can, of, like literally a can of worms, and then you're just like, oh, there's this and there's that. Okay, let's add this thing on there. Um, well, exactly, just, and I also do a lot of uh, virtual practice. So I've got patients around the country and, and you know people I'm working with in different parts of the world. So some of the, right. the blood analysis and hair analysis is a little bit harder to get because having somebody chop parts of their hair out is sometimes harder to ask. 
<laughs> oh, you find that? Yeah. I, um, I sometimes I don't think about it until I get to that point where I'm asking them and I'm like, oh yeah, they might have, they might not have hair or this dyed or even women, they laser their pubic hair if they can't get, if they can't get their, their hair might be dyed. So <laughs> I forget that sometimes there's challenges with that. Um, but yeah, but it's, it's a wonderful tool. I love using it because all the ratios, you know, are also signs of whether your, your thyroid is fast or slow and your adrenals as well. Um, and I'm um, seeing if there's other possible ideas of infections and things of that sort too. So, um, so what are specific tests? Maybe I know you mentioned like nine or 10, maybe you can mention a few of them that you use with your clients to look for thyroid challenges. Yeah. So, I mean, I've just run down the list again. I got those all sitting in front of me here. So nice. my thyroid base where we start is we do a free T3 and a free T4 thyroglobulin antibodies thyroid peroxidase antibodies, TSH, total T3 and total T4, reverse T3 and T3 uptake. That's my base, purely just thyroid tests. Um, of course, we also run a lot of other tests such as C-reactive protein, which is for inflammation and homocysteine, which is for inflammation, because you have to take inflammation into account when you're dealing with hormones, because if your cells are inflamed, your receptors don't work as well. Mm. So you got to look for that hormone resistance, which to be quite honest, is one of the biggest things out there and the biggest problems out there because out of a hundred thyroid patients that walk in, if you could get rid of the inflammation and when we do get rid of the inflammation out of their body, now they either don't need their medication or they need a whole lot less of it in their body just by focusing on the triggers for the inflammation. Mm. Okay. Okay. So when you mention hormones, um, many people that are educated with the thyroid are going to know that the thyroid has hormones, but I think a lot of people also think about the reproductive hormones like estrogen and testosterone. Um, do you want to talk about how those are connected as well to the thyroid? Yeah. So when you're dealing with thyroid, the estrogen level in the body is absolutely going to affect what's happening with bound and unbound hormone. So Thyroid hormone, when you have high estrogen, will stay bound to the proteins and won't come off. So therefore, it can't get into the cells because it's bound to the protein. Whereas the opposite happens with high testosterone, you'll have more free hormone. So it's not being transported around as easily, but it can get into the cell more easily if it's already gotten down to the cell. So if I'm looking at ratios of bound versus unbound thyroid hormone, if it's teetering one way or the other, it tells me maybe this person in a, in a really high bound side has a high estrogen level, or if they have high free levels and low bound levels, then it's going to be a high testosterone level. Mm, okay. And then you were telling me off air that you, if you deal with most of the um, chemical imbalances to begin with, the toxins, infections, um, the other toxicities, and, and dealing with some of the deficiencies, then at, in the end, usually the reproductive hormones like estrogen and testosterone kind of work itself out in balancing. Yeah, so I get a lot of patients in and they bring in all these hormone panels, just tons of hormone panels. And they, they feel really terrible and they've been on bioidentical hormones or they've been on synthetic hormones. They're, they're on birth controls and testosterone creams and all these other things. And, and they, they think that if they can get that balanced out, that they can be well. And so often what I find is if we can get rid of the chemical toxicities, the heavy metals and the infections, that the body, when it's not so stressed out, can really truly regulate hormones so much better. You know, you're, I've had patients that have had their thyroid removed and still don't take thyroid medication and have normal thyroid levels on labs because other glands will pick up the slack. Mm. Same thing with women's and men's hormones like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Other hormones can pick up the slack if you've had your ovaries removed or other parts of the body that are in dysfunction. The body picks up the slack if it's not so stressed out from all these other toxicities, that's, mm. all these other stressors that it's dealing with. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's a good way to explain that. So, so how do you find, um, we mentioned a little bit about the gut. Is there anything else that you think that is, is no, you know, worthy to know about how the gut relates to the thyroid? 
Oh, you know, there, there's so much going on down there. Um, you know, I mentioned that the, the thyroid T4, which is what the thyroid mainly produces, gets converted into T3 in the liver and the gut. So if you're having bloating, constipation, any sort of digestive tract symptom, that, that already leads you to believe that your digestive tract is not going to be able to perform that conversion as well as it's supposed to. Well, 20% of the conversion is done in the digestion. So by the gut, by the intestines. So then the other 60% is done in the liver. So if you have metal toxicities, if you have chemical toxicities, if you're dealing with infections that are releasing neurotoxins into your body, whether those infections are bacterial, fungal, parasites, then the thyroid function is gonna decrease. But also, if you've taken a ton of antibiotics, then I just had a patient walk in today. She was, I think, five years old, and she had her tests done for thyroid right before and right after this uh, antibiotic treatment. And her thyroid TSH, which is supposed to be around two, went from about 1.5, which is ideal, up to 5.5. So she became hypothyroid just after taking antibiotics. Well, why? Um, it's throwing off your digestive tract. Yeah. But I mean, look at other things that can cause that too. If you're taking drugs that affect acid reflux, that's going to affect your digestive tract. It's going to affect the acid in your stomach. It's going to affect digestive enzymes, which is going to change the way you're using food and change the way that you're using your thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've got to be careful with what you're putting in your digestive tract from medications to supplements to, to foods, because if you're eating food that you're allergic to, so say, say you're eating dairy and you know you have a little bit of an issue with it, so you don't drink milk, but you're still eating cheese because it doesn't bother you as much. It's still irritating your body, just maybe not at as high of a level. Mm -hmm. And by eating that cheese, now you're dealing with a digestive tract that's under-functioning and that conversion level goes down again. And we're not even talking about what we talked about earlier, which is if your digestive tract's under-functioning, you're not absorbing nutrients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the nutrients, again, that we need to build those hormones. And um, also, well, in relation to the digestive tract, the liver, if that's all backed up because of these toxins and chemicals, then we're not going to be able to produce the bile to, um, you know, to be able to break down all the fat that we're eating. And then we don't have the fat that we need to build the hormones. Absolutely. The gallbladder, which is where all the bile is stored, and so many people have issues with and get removed. The gallbladder is, is vital to breaking down fats. I oftentimes with because of the, the chiropractic background and just because patients' bodies, if you can get them on your table and you can push into where the gallbladder is, a little tenderness over the gallbladder tells you the gallbladder needs some work. Mm. So then you need to talk about, okay, well, how do we help the gallbladder to get cleaned out so that it can use the bile to help clean up the liver and be able to break down the fat in the body, right? Because mm. we, we want the liver to be clean. We want the, the fat to be broken down because bile if you don't get it cleaned up, it does something which is called auto intoxication, which means that it will, your body wants to save that bile. It doesn't just let it go. So it uses it. It lets it go into the digestive tract to break things up and then it pulls it back to the gallbladder. Mm. So if it gets toxic from metals and other toxins and your body is unable to clean it up, it starts to retoxify your body from just the stuff that's already was in your digestive tract that you were trying to excrete. So is that how people get stones then? That's a piece of how people get stones, yeah. So then I got to go in with, you know, ox bile or other different products that can help your digestive enzymes get the, the gallbladder cleaned up. And then we also use some really good omega fatty acids or we use some different other fats such as uh, short-train triglycerides or medium-train triglycerides to try and help just soften up the gallbladder to get the body doing well. And there's even things like gallbladder cleanses that patients will have to do just to help get their body moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that once people start cleaning up that area too, that they, they feel so much better. And the amount of stones that even myself and my, my clients have passed are just incredible. <laughs> and people have no idea that they, we have these in our body. Absolutely. It's, it's pretty interesting to see somebody do a gallbladder flush and, and show me a picture of hundreds of stones 
little green stones coming out right after they do the flush. And then all of a sudden they just feel better. They process uh, their protocols better. They process everything better. Even if the, the patient is someone who likes to go out and have a drink, all of a sudden now their hangovers aren't as bad. <laughs> yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, I do have some of those clients too that they're just like, I can't give up my alcohol. And um, even if it's like, okay, can we lessen it to a couple times a week instead of every day? <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just got to work with people, right? Right, wherever they're at. And, and, that's, and that's the beauty of this too. That's why, that's why it's important that um, clients or, or people in general have someone like you or me on their team because um, it's a partnership and it takes someone kind of looking in and, and being able to see what's going on from the outside versus you know, we're stuck in a rut and we have no idea what's going on. And um, let alone, like, maybe we even have some tests, but we don't know how, what to do with it because the person that might have been helping us or that's not helping us, we're not getting the answers that we need and the right type of protocols that we need as well, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, okay, so you haven't mentioned parasites yet, and that's the hot topic <laughs> for everybody, it seems like. Yeah, we could talk about fungus and heavy metals and all that other good stuff that, you know, when we do get rid of those things, we feel much better. But it's the parasites that really people like want to hear about. So why don't you talk about that for a second? Oh, man, I can tell you stories for days on parasites. Uh, I get pictures in from patients holding parasites up that are as tall as they are that they've excreted from their bodies. So all the, all the stories can go forever. But parasites are something that in the United States we think we're too good for. And being here in the Midwest and being around cattle and horses and dogs and cats, uh, you know, patients here, when I ask them, I'm like, do you think you're too good to get parasites when you deworm all your animals? And they're like, well, probably not because it's in our food supply. It's in so many different foods, but it's also if you touch your hand to the dirt or if you're in the desert and the spores are flying around because you're out in Vegas. So yeah. spores are always flying around there. Um, if you touch a doorknob after somebody that did touch the ground, you're going to be able to pick those things up. They can also go through skin and certain types of parasites. If you swam in a lake and drank water, you can get it in there. You know, not on purpose drinking lake water, but you know, you're, you're swimming. So sometimes something gets in your mouth. So it's pretty easy to get a parasite. And if your body's really healthy and has no issues, then maybe you can fight it off. But if it's not, then these, these parasites will start to grow in you. And parasites are extremely common in the United States, especially if you have any gut issues, you might as well just kind of grasp with the thought that it's possible that you're going to have a parasite. Uh, you know, I asked one, one doctor, Dr. Watts, I said, well, how, how many people do you, you think have parasites and how do you diagnose them? And he said, well, do you breathe? And, and he's like, that was his question to the patient. And you know, the patient's like, well, of course I breathe. Then you could have a parasite. You know, he's a yeah. parasite guy and, and, and I work a lot with parasites and Lyme. So it, it is true. You know, almost every patient that walks into my clinic that has any of these thyroid or digestive symptoms end up having parasites. And, and I use a, a multitude of products because it's not just one parasite out there. Mm -hmm. You can't just do this short term little protocol where it's okay. I give you something for two weeks and you're good. Or I give you one seven day medication. And you're good. Or take this one pill once a month and you're good. It's something that you have to stay consistent on. It's something that you're going to be doing for quite some time because you got to rotate it because parasites bury themselves in what's called biofilm, which is a protective mucosal layer so that medications and supplements don't get to them. So you just rotate around and you trick them and you, it may take months, but you're going to get them out of there and you're going to see them come out and you're going to feel better. And I, I mean, I've got stories of patients coming in with eczema, just covering their body. And they're allergic to everything under the sun as far as foods. Or they're, they're having migraines every day. And once you go ahead and take care of the parasites, the patient that had the eczema, the eczema left his body. And he was able to go back and eat all the trigger foods that were triggering it before. That's incredible. So one guy sent me a picture with his arms all broke out in eczema. We ran blood tests, found out he was allergic to dairy. He went off of dairy and it got better. Mm -hmm. so we're like, okay, that's one solution. Then I go, okay, now let's treat for the reason why you have the food allergy, which was a parasite. So we got rid of the parasite and then he started eating dairy again and the eczema didn't come back. Yeah. Done this experiment of eat dairy, not eat dairy several times. So we knew that was the trigger. Yeah. I had a little girl come in that was allergic to all but about five foods. Her mom was in a panic because she's like, how do I feed her? How do I send her to a birthday party? How do I send her to school? We spent a year going through parasites 
and heavy metals. And now she can eat all foods except she cannot have gluten more than once a week. Mm. And her mom's like, you know, now, now she can go to birthday parties. Now she can go to school. Now we don't have a $300 grocery list because every food had to be picked specifically based off of every single tiny ingredient. I don't have to make every meal for my child. And the child grew about seven inches at the end of the treatment protocol just in the last couple of months because the body was relaxed and relieved of all the stresses and it was absorbing right. food. Right, yeah. Yeah, well, and I'm glad you mentioned about the connection with the food allergies because, um, you know, in this field, a lot of times people come to us and they're just like, well, what's the perfect diet and what do I need to get out of my food? And they just think it's all in the food. And well, you know, like, yes, our food is deficient and we can have allergies. I'm not denying all that. Um, and there's certain things we definitely should not eat. So I, I'll go through my list and say, you know, probably should take this out or increase this or maybe try some of this. But at the same time, you know, you're right. If we have these big parasites, if we have these mucoid plaques and biofilms and these things that are just lining our gut and, and um, messing up our digestive system, we're not going to process anything right. So we can be allergic to a bell pepper, you know, yep. we can be allergic to an avocado, <laughs> just because it's not breaking down all the way. Now it becomes a toxin. Yeah. And not to mention that they're flaring the immune system and then the immune system in a flare will identify anything there as a problem. So you can eat the perfect autoimmune protocol diet, all organic, all farm fresh or grown yourself. And if you have parasites or other infections, you will eventually become allergic to everything you're eating. Right. So right. if you go, if you go and run a big, nice food panel and you're, and you're, you're working with somebody who just does the food panel or you run it through Groupon, which I've had patients do and they eat perfectly and they're like, I'm great now. And three months later, they're like, I'm because all my symptoms are coming back because your body is under stress and it's now starting to attack whatever you're feeding it. Right. Right. Yeah. So you know how you do like blood cell analysis. Do you find often, do you see the parasites in there often too? I see some, but more often I see signs because a lot of the parasites, like I said, if, if a patient can grab it and hold it up to their head, as far as the length, it's far too large for the live blood cell. But some things you see is if they're, they're small, you can see them bouncing around on the screen inside the red blood cells. You can see them as little portions in the red blood cells, little portions of biofilm or husk. But uh, oftentimes I just see red blood cells that are just mangled. They're just all kinds of beat up. And that gives me a lot of sign. Okay, we've got some microbes we've got to work through. Yeah. Do you do the live blood analysis with all your clients that come in? Every internal medicine client that comes in gets it done on the first visit and it's just a standard for us now. There's, there's not even a question anymore. You know, a few times here and there where I, I sneak in a, uh, a referral from a, a, a patient that's been coming with me for a while. That's a structural patient, you know, maybe a family member's in town or something. They don't get the microscope, but usually that's because I'm sneaking them in and we just simply don't have time because I think almost everyone loves getting a microscope. It's probably every patient's favorite thing to do. Right. They're just so yeah. excited to see what's going on inside. And they may not like the blood finger prick, but once right. we're out, they just love it. Right. Yeah. And that's what keeps me in an office as well, too. I mean, we could just like you, I see clients all over the world too. And, um, you know, we can do all these lab tests and hair tests and, but there's just something about seeing your blood cells under the microscope that just is very moving. <laughs> and when you see what it should look like, it doesn't take too much of an expert to realize that this, you know, it's off. <laughs> this is not what my blood should look like. Absolutely. And, you know, I've had a patient look at her blood and see black plaque, which was from smoking and mm. quit smoking that day. So forever I will be doing this just because it is so convincing to see your blood on a TV screen and, and to visually, I mean, even a person that's never seen it before can visually go, yeah, that shouldn't be there. Yeah, I actually see a lot of the worms in people. I, I didn't even think about all the spores in the air in Las Vegas until you mentioned that. But Maybe that's why I see it in everybody. <laughs> yeah, so you're seeing patients in Vegas where those spores are blowing around, whereas we see a lot more of the larger worms here in the Midwest. So mm -hmm. I have to see the signs of. But then again, you know, I have people that fly in from Arizona to get to be seen, and they, they want to have their first visit here. And then, yeah, I get to see little swimming worms around, which is always fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so is there anything else about the thyroid that we should know? Oh, you know, the one thing I do like to leave with people is you could have every thyroid symptom 
and it not be anything to do with the organ of the thyroid. Mm -hmm. So I always leave my presentations with um, a slide of other possibilities that cause the same exact reactions, which one of those is mercury. Mm -hmm. If you look up a chart of what causes similar types of symptoms, mercury poisoning. So if you've got metal in your mouth, if you played with the thermometer as a kid, which I've got more patients you can imagine that tell me about that, um, or if you work in, in a dental environment or other types of environments with mercury, definitely look into heavy metal detoxification. Uh, you know, the, the conference we were at, one of the things I picked up there was that uh, Hashimoto's is being looked at right now when they're, when they're doing a biopsy and they're finding that mercury is actually attaching to receptors, creating what looks like autoimmune thyroid. Hmm. which realistically it's not autoimmune, but it's still called Hashimoto's because your immune system's attacking the receptors. There's a reason why. So mm -hmm. do your metal detox and get it off of there. You know, that's the one thing we really haven't talked about throughout this entire uh, podcast is autoimmune thyroid. Mm -hmm. And I guess I could leave with some symptoms there, which are if your blood, if your blood tests keep going up and down, or if you feel like your throat, you're getting nodules on the thyroid itself, or you're, you're being told there's nodules on your thyroid, those are all signs of autoimmune thyroid, which means that you could have hyper one day and hypo another day. So your symptoms can go all over the place mm. when you're autoimmune thyroid. So that's Hashimoto's thyroid. Since, and we kind of we bypassed that somehow with all the other good information we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, and you're saying, um, to sum that up, you're saying that mercury tends to be a link with those um, nodules on the thyroid, and which is related to the Hashimoto's. Yeah, so, so mercury, is a, your body wants to get rid of it, and in that study that they presented to us was uh, at least 20% of Hashimoto's by this guy's study was due to mercury being bound to the thyroid. And when mercury is bound, the immune system attacks, and, and then you get nodules. We know that mercury can come from dental amalgams. Um, that's a huge one. I was seeing that connection with my, my client yesterday. I don't know how we didn't realize that she had all these amalgams to begin with, but we, we started realizing, because I was starting to see all these symptoms with her thyroid and her, um, and um, maybe low selenium or iodine relation. And then, and then I was like, wait a second, mercury. Wait a second, she has all this mercury in her mouth. Um, so aside from that, though, um, we have it in our fish, a lot in our fish. You know, you want to mention a couple other ways that people are getting mercury in the system? Well, you know, the mercury can be definitely the fish but it can be in different drinking supplies, especially depending upon where you are, you can get metal. Um, it can be from different job environments. So if you're in chemical environments, it can be there. And, you know, those are kind of the main ones. I really honestly, mercury in the mouth is the absolute main one. Mm -hmm. Not many people eat enough fish to really make me think that's the big deal. It's, it's those, those dang amalgams. Mm -hmm. Got them. You might want to consider getting them out, but you got to do it properly. You got to go to the proper dentist that knows what they're doing. I tend to refer to what's called a biological dentist because they're training, trained in safe removal. So don't just go to anybody. If a dentist tells you that they don't think you need to have them out, don't let them take them out. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, because it can start to recirculate in our body again if they're not taken out properly. Oh, it can cause massive problems. It, I mean, I've had a uh, a friend of mine get mercury amalgams taken out and it put him in a anxiety panic attack for two years until they got the metal detoxed out of him. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds like a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Just talking about the anxiety and panic attacks that people are having in relation to all this. Um, yeah, I know it's crazy. A lot of times people are having these symptoms and have no idea that there's these underlying heavy metals that are related to it. Oh yeah, we could, you and I could talk about Lyme and parasites and heavy metals for hours. Right. Yeah. So we'll definitely have to catch up in another one and, and talk about the Lyme. I, I know you're, you're an expert at that too. And, and uh, we'll continue the, the metal discussion because <laughs> I, I just love being able to see people get rid of those as well too. Absolutely. We'll have to do a Lyme talk at some point. That That's definitely the reason that, that I got into this myself, but you know, my mom brought me into the thyroid world. So those are kind of my two passions. Nice. So um, you want to tell us something about your programs or, um, you know, ways that we can find you? 
Yeah, so I have a, a website, Dr. Javen Moore, my name, .com. Uh, my Facebook page, same thing, Dr. Javen Moore. So those are two great ways. We're on Instagram too. Uh, we, we do post a lot of information and videos out there. Uh, we're even putting them out on YouTube now. So we're trying to get information out so people can, you know, take control of their own health. And as far as my programs, I do a few different ways where I treat patients. We, we love doing packages with patients where they come and they start with us and they spend about six months working with us, making sure that we teach them how to detoxify, how to heal, how to eat, where toxins are coming from in the world. So we work with people a lot through those packages. We also do visit to visit, but we find that it's definitely not as effective to just call in here and there where we're not hands-on really teaching you everything you need to know. We do have, if you're local in our clinic, we allow patients to come in and do ionic foot baths, infrared saunas. We even do neurofeedback where we use different light and sound therapies to help with some of those neurological symptoms like anxiety and depression that people have been stuck in the rut on for so long. Um, so yeah, we, we, we try to leave no stone unturned when it comes to getting people well. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's, it's a blessing to have colleagues like you that are, you know, really care about getting to the root of people's uh, health challenges and are, are really seeing the whole picture and being able to tie it together. So, um, you know, I just thank you so much, J Dr. Javen. And oh, for those of you listening, um, you want to spell your name so they know how to. Uh, yeah, so my name is spelled J-A-B as in boy, A-N-M-O-O-R-E. Okay, perfect. Yeah, because when I was spelling your name at first, I was definitely spelling your first name wrong. <laughs> so, okay, perfect. Well, thank you again. And, um, you know, I, th I thank you listeners for listening to the podcast. And if you have any questions, please mention in the comment, reach out to either one of us, and uh, we would love to um, be of assistance to you. Thank you, Jamie, for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Wellness Trinity Podcast. Be sure to subscribe for more wellness tips to help you achieve optimal health. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.